Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Talk Radio. Across the UK. Online. On DAB. And on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here at the home of Common Sense. It is, of course, Talk Radio. We've reached the end of yet another tumultuous week in the dangerous world of the new and improved Britain, as designed by Boris Johnson. The Prime Minister told us this week that all the shortages that we keep hearing about aren't going to last and that they aren't his fault anyway. But the government still hasn't made any moves to either reduce the cost of our energy bills or tell us when they will stop actually going up. It seems that they're going up literally by the hour. This morning, we'll be finding out just how much Vladimir Putin is to blame for all of this and what you can do if your annual bill bursts through the £2,000 barrier, uh, which mine unfortunately already has. We'll be asking Alan Mendoza from the Henry Jackson Society. First up though, Richard Tyson's here uh, to give us his take on the week in politics. The Tories, the latest flu scare, the ever-moving Covid rules, insulate Britain who are out and about again, and why Poland might be the next country to leave the European Union. They're not very happy in Brussels, I can tell you that. 03444991000. Baroness Claire Fox is here as well, ahead of a weekend of events at the Academy of Ideas. We'll be asking her about about free speech and the latest assaults on it. Jacob Rees-Mogg this morning is telling everyone we must call out snowflakery wherever we see it, and we're very happy uh, to oblige, Jacob. I can tell you that. We'll also be catching up with Talk Radio's very own Ricky Freelove, who's been watching the morons from Insulate Britain this morning, who have woken up early and decided to sit down on Old Street Roundabout. You might not know where that is, but it's right in the centre of London, uh, and as usual, they're trying to block a fire uh, station. 03444991000. We'll also be asking just why the Metropolitan Police is the worst police for in England and Wales for solving sexual and violent crime. Only one in 20 offences actually results in a charge. You'd have to say, uh, even those charges probably don't all stick. So probably it's even worse than we think. Are the police in this country actually fit for purpose anymore? Tell us your stories of how the police dealt with your problem. I'll be very surprised if anyone's got a positive tale to impart. It's Friday, of course, and we'll be bringing you the Perry Awards in homage to my brilliance in broadcasting this week, brought to you uh, by Yorkshire's finest Izzy Rowland. And, of course, uh, we'll be taking your calls as well. 0344 
499-1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the home of Common Sense. It is, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, it's a bit dull and dismal out there, but luckily inside the studio here, we have glittering uh, famous people like Richard Tice. <laughs> good to morning, Mike. All up well, it's, good morning. it's warmer and friendlier in here than the weather outside, isn't it? Grey and is. gloomy. I, I mean, mean I thought October started rather well, but it's already now sort of... Dim- it's dim- already gone pear-shaped. It's gone pear-shaped, rather like the way that uh, Boris Johnson's speech was brilliant when he made it, and then suddenly he woke up in the morning and he kind of went... Ah, OK then. Um, <laughs> it, it's it was extraordinary a great speech, wasn't it? The reality is that, as an after-dinner speech, which is what he's famous yes, for, right. uh, it was brilliant. Yes. It was classic Boris. Mm. You know, 10 out of 10 for rhetorical flourish and oratory. Yes. But in terms of being in touch with reality, yeah. 1 out of 10. That's and in terms trouble. of the, the likelihood of any of it being delivered under his leadership uh, and that of his cabinet and the current civil service leaders... Frankly, zero. Well, I'm interested in your take on it economically, because as a businessman, uh, you, like many other businessmen, are looking at it going, this isn't actually reality, right? Well, the reality is that energy prices, and we'll come on to that, are going through the roof. Mm. And, And for many businesses up and down the country, that is a really serious issue. It's a big part of their costs. Mm. And you've got industries, you know, certain businesses saying... We're actually better closing, which is yeah. this was the issue with the CO two yes. uh, crisis with the fertilizer right. business. So you know, and this is why actually businesses reacted with fury yesterday mm. at Boris's speech, which was just it was just delusional. Mm. Yes, it was funny. Yes, you know, it was optimistic, but it just bore no relation to the reality yeah. of of the challenges faced by literally by millions of families up and down the country. And by hundreds of thousands of businesses. Yes. I mean, the one thing that I, was, that I was sort of giving thought to was that perhaps we've entered this new era of politics whereby, you know, you quite enjoy watching somebody like that and you know why he's the prime minister. But actually, you don't take it very seriously. And the one thing he did say this week, I think, that was true, uh, is that the government can't solve all your problems. And I, and I think that's a good thing to say. You're right. And, and it is true. And I, it's a strange situation where basically um, a lot of big business who've been bleating about the increase in uh, the need to increase wages for the lowest paid, that all of a sudden they're trying to force all these problems on the government. Actually, mm. Boris, credit where credit's due, he's right. It, that's not the issue of government. You know, that's the market talking. And if you can't find enough labour, then you've either got to pay higher wages or you've got to invest in capital to replace the labour. That's, that's how economics has worked, frankly, since the Industrial Revolution began. Uh, so I think that, um, yeah, businesses who are not very happy with Boris right. just just because he seems out of touch. Yes. Uh, but, you know, a lot of big businesses, they've, they've you know, frank, frankly, uh, they're just going to have to deal with some of these issues themselves in terms, right. certainly in terms of the labour force. Um, I think for them, though, the energy price issue has been such a shock. Mm. And, you know, I've been saying it's the result of a decade of mismanagement under a series of conservative governments. Yeah. Well, some of what I would call small to medium-sized businesses are telling me that their electricity bill could go up by 150000 a year. Yes. Right? That's a lot of money. Oh, it's, it's, I mean, it's catastrophic for many businesses. And it was, you know, you've got that, you've got the increases in national insurance, uh, a raft of other, you know, bureaucratic hurdles being increased. And so you know, many businesses will just say, we can't employ as many people. Now, these are the challenges that <clears throat> lots of people are going to face. Mm. And I, I think that the thing about the energy crisis is that 10 years ago, we used to be a net, Im- we used to be a net exporter of energy. Yes. We are now vulnerable as a net importer right. to Putin or dodgy 
electrical connectors in France. Yeah. And we're vulnerable. We're strategically exposed. When we've got 50 years worth of cheap, accessible, safely accessible gas, mm. literally under our feet. Under our feet. And, and shouldn't that have been something that, as part of the Brexit kind of dividend, the government should have thought of? Well, in fairness, they did, because they promised, once again, another of these conservative promises that never gets delivered. In their 2017 manifesto, not a terribly exciting read, I will grant you, but in that manifesto, they said they were going to have a shale gas revolution and it would be a, to creating thousands of new jobs and investment. And the first sign of a few eco-bullies rocking up a year later and they run for the hills and bottle it. Mm. And they've shut it all down when actually the technology is there, the gas is there, it's cheap, it's reliable. And guess what? It's ours. Yes. You know, we don't need to send tens of billions of pounds buying Putin's gas when we've literally got it under our feet. Yeah. It's the definition of madness. Right. It I mean, really I, is. But, the, I mean, I'm not joking when I say last week when you were here, I showed you the uh, increase supposedly in price that, that I was going to be paying. It's gone up again since then. Whenever you put in, you know, what's the estimate? It's gone up another few hundred quid. You'll have to wear you know, a few more jumpers, Mike. I definitely will. I mean, I think, you know, I'm chopping down the trees in the garden even <laughs> as we speak this weekend, you know. But the point is that, you know, it's 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 not stopping. And all this no. talk of, of uh, caps and what they're now saying is, oh, we might have to lift the cap and make it even higher up so that by the new year you could be paying 2500 a year for what used to cost less than a thousand i think that's the point is it's only october and you know we all know that it gets a lot colder in december and january so who knows where this is going but i think that uh you know some the government is going to have to it's going to have to respond to essentially being pushed from pillar to post by by global forces and by by you know, geopolitical leaders like Putin essentially mm. playing games. I mean, they are pulling yeah. the, he is pulling the strings of Europe. You know, does he increase the price? Does he restrict the supply? And then who knows what other yeah. actors in this and, game And who might knows play. if he just does it because he quite likes doing it. Uh, for sure. You no, know, he's just he watching does it. the markets go up and down and making a few hundred million quid. He does it because he wants to remind people uh, of the level of power he's got. And that's before you, you know, what may or may not happen in the Middle East. Who knows? So yeah, there's 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 lots of risks out there, yeah. and I think we've really got to be alert. And we're all we're all going to learn that actually we need to be self reliant on our energy. We can be self reliant on our energy, and that is the smartest thing to do. And we've got to start investing in it hard and fast. Mm, absolutely right. Let's talk about Poland because a very surprising story popped up this Isn't morning, it wonderful? Which I knew would really absolutely. Warm I the literally danced. I almost. I mean, people <laughs> don't want to see me dance, but I did nearly dance into the studio. <laughs> With delight at the yes. thought of, of pole exit. Yes, because with... what people don't get is that there's an awful lot of, of feeling around the European Union and in the countries of the European Union. They don't really like it very much. Well, I think because they're seeing that actually, uh, you know, they want to, uh, they want their own uh, country, their own government to be in control. And too often they're seeing the pain and the financial pain mm. of decisions made, you know, hundreds or thousands of miles away yeah. in Brussels. Yeah. And, and the Polish people and the Polish judges on this occasion have, I think, eminently sensibly ruled that Polish law is sovereign, mm. uh, they're a sovereign state, and that that overrides any daft laws made in Brussels. Yeah. And good on them. Yeah, and, and the EU itself is incandescent with rage because surprise, they've suddenly surprise. seen the rug being pulled gently away from them and before long it's going to get sort of whipped so yeah, fast that they're going to fall over. Absolutely. You can, you can see which way this is going to pan out. Yeah. There'll be all sorts of you know arm twisting and... and subsidy withholding going on that's how brussels operates yeah. uh, so, because they've had a row with poland for a while haven't yes. they because poland was one of the countries of eastern europe like hungary who said get stuffed with your refugee policy we're not taking any yes we no, don't absolutely want any. They, they've they've shown a bit of uh, a bit of courage a bit of resolve 
in, in wanting to basically run the country, their own country, as they see fit. Yes. Because that's what sovereign governments are supposed to do, by mm. the way. And that has upset Brussels. So, yeah, it'd be really interesting to watch uh, which way this goes. Mm. But I think it is, it is this disconnect between elite leaders and the people. Yeah. And, you know, it's most pronounced... Uh, between the people, citizens of, of the EU and, and Brussels. But we see it here mm. in the UK, and we've been talking about it, yeah. between the elite leaders in Westminster and people's, you know, daily challenges. Absolutely. Putting well, food I, on I the mean, table the and putting, trying to put, put, well, put some fuel in the car. Yeah, one of the things that struck me at the Tory party conference was when they panned around to sort of see the audience, and there was Rachel Johnson, his, uh, Boris's sister, sitting next to Carrie Simmons, or Carrie Johnson as she now is, Henry Newman, who used to be known as the handsome man on College Green, you know, because he is a very handsome man, and uh, I don't mind saying that. But these people have no clue what it's like to try and put petrol in your car or pay the electricity bill, because guess what? They don't have one. Yeah. Because we pay it for them. Well, that's right. And so I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's, a real, it's a real sort of challenge, this huge disconnect between leaders and uh, an ordinary, you know, decent folk mm. trying to, uh, you know, trying to just pay the bills yeah. every day, every week, every month. And it's getting much harder here in the UK. Mm. You know, I think the energy price thing, you've touched on it, your own bills, I'm, you know, all... All of us, you know, we're just we're getting these letters saying, well, "What's happened?" I mean, hang on, yeah. how can it be hundreds and hundreds of pounds higher? Yeah. And at, at some point, and it's out of control. It is out of control, and I think we're within the next few weeks or months, we're going to have to be talking about whether or not the government should take VAT off domestic fuel mm. uh, this winter to try and ease it. There'll be more talk about whether they should reinstate universal credit or whether they impose a windfall tax on some of the, the energy actual uh, generators, because this this otherwise this doesn't end well. No, it doesn't. Now, I should ask you about the Reform Party's uh, conference as well, because uh, since the last time I saw you, yes, you had that. we How did, did indeed, go? and it, it was fantastic. It was on uh, Sunday. Um, I did my leader's speech straight after my, my show last week, and no, it went really well, and we had a fantastic audience. And we put forward our bold new policies, not only cutting taxes, which I've talked about before, but how we should actually, uh, we can get to zero waiting lists mm. in the health system by having a voucher system and putting us, the patient, in yeah. charge, as opposed to the monopoly provider. Uh, and that that voucher system would, would be the way uh, to solve the whole issue around millions and millions of people mm. being, uh, you know, having to wait for months and months and months. Because most we forget we're brainwashed that we yeah. have to accept waiting lists. Across most of Europe, there's no right. such thing as waiting lists. Well, it's exactly. anathema. They laugh at us. Also, what do you mean you've got to wait eight months yeah. for a hip operation? But also, the number of people that come onto this show and tell me, you know, well, of course, they told me, well, we might be able to see you in about four months or five months. And you go, how about if I pay you privately? Oh, I'll see you tomorrow. Yeah. You know, and, you and can't so, operate two systems side by side with the same personnel. So, so our, our system where, you know, if you can't see a GP in three days, you get a voucher, you go private. If you can't see a consultant in three weeks you get a voucher you go private yeah if you can't get an operation from the nhs in eight or nine weeks you get a voucher you go private guess what will happen the private capacity will mushroom yeah and waiting lists will plummet and we polled it two weeks ago 81 mm. percent of people do not care who provides the care right they just want the pain gone right they want the suffering and gone. can they then enter a sort of private insurance scheme which pays for it you don't you don't, no, you don't need to because it's it's a, it's it's always free at the point of delivery right the point is the vouchers you know essentially come from the government okay we've worked out a tech way that it can be done quite straightforwardly 
and this is the way forward. Where so actually what you're the saying patient is, the cost, is in charge. Okay, so what you're saying is the cost of the procedure is the same. It's the same, regardless well, yes. of who's doing it. Correct, because the government agrees a, a what's called a tariff mm. with the private provider. Okay, um, but from the patient's point of view, the patient doesn't it doesn't. It's still free at the point of delivery. Obviously, all of us are paying for the NHS in our daily taxes. We all yeah. know that. And right. that doesn't change. The point is you, the patient, are in charge. And you've then got a choice. Do you want to wait three months to be operated on in your local hospital? Or actually, do you want to go 60 miles down the road where there's uh, you know, there's a vacancy, there's a slot, you could have it done in a fortnight? Mm. And I think I know what most people would do. Yeah. And, and we've polled it. And as I say, 81% would leg it 50 miles down yeah. the road to get the pain gone well, and the operation done. That sounds like a great idea. We must talk more about that. Uh, Richard Tice is here. If you've got questions, you need them answering. This is the place to come. This is Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB+, and on the Talk Radio app. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Richard Tice is here, leader of the Reform UK Party, of course. Talk Radio presenter on Sunday morning as well. He'll be back here at 10am. Let's just talk a little bit, Richard, about what Boris did say about this sort of high-wage, low-tax nation that he wants to create. I mean, can he do that? Well, obviously, he can't do it personally. and uh, But there are elements, which is good news, as part of the Brexit dividend, that what we're what we've seen over this uh, over recent weeks and months is that actually some of the uh, the lowest paid in society are actually the most critical to to our daily lives continuing lorry drivers supermarket yeah. workers uh, warehouse operators mm. um, abattoir right. uh, men and women in uh, you know, but we in, keep hearing that people in this country don't want to work in abattoirs right therefore somehow if we raise think, the level of pay they the, will the, the, the I'm bottom, not sure they will will they I, actually, I disagree I think um, I think the reality is and we've been doing a bit of work the reality is that in too many sectors big business have been able to keep wages uh, for manual labor and things down because mm. of the, the you know the, the amount of uncontrolled uh, low skilled eastern european immigration that we had and, and boris did actually finally accept that and address that in his speech which was important mm. and so you may well see a situation where manual wages are going up and that's a really good thing and that actually office-based workers, particularly hopefully amongst civil servants, that they don't go up mm. because actually, you know, they've had uh, they've had the wage rises over you know the last fifteen yeah. years, uh, but it's and so I think you know that's that's a good thing and of course we want to skill up and train our own people and that's really really important. That means getting rid of the the useless courses that go on in many yes. universities and have some some proper. Uh, well, I wonder as well whether we, some real skills. Yeah, I wonder whether, with all the madness of the university sort of wokery, that we shouldn't just say, you know what, all of this nonsense of sending thirty-five to forty percent of kids to university should should stop. Well, let's go back to what it used to be, which was sort of five to ten percent, and everybody else goes and gets a proper job. Well, one of the things to do is actually, I mean, given that I did some research a few years back, and the average course only gave ten to eleven hours of tuition. Mm lectures 23 weeks a year the last time yeah. I looked there's 52 weeks in a year right. so actually you could have many of those courses could be done in two years yes. not three at the choice of the individual yeah. if you want to save 15 grand mm-hmm. then do it in two years not three and I think yeah. we can see that's eminently possible and then you've got m- the madness of for example we're short of doctors and nurses and yet we cap the numbers being taught those things in our universities yeah. you should lift the cap uh, we've also put forward a policy that actually for example you could um, doctors that, that that qualify if they work in the NHS for 10 years, mm. you could gradually pro rata 
essentially write off their student uh, their student loans yeah. as a way of incentivizing and motivate motivating people in the medical world right. uh, to stick with it. You know, these are the sort of incentives to properly mm. skill up really great, talented, bright Well, education has become people. nothing to do with education. It's a business now, isn't it? I mean, all of these big universities are making a fortune. They're getting money coming in from China. They're getting sponsorships from all sorts of uh, multinational yes. companies. And for them, it's not about educating and, kids. And, and what, what I discovered is that in many cases, uh, when people are think, told they're going to be taught by fantastic professors and brilliant mm. gurus... You know, actually, nothing's further than to the truth. Very often, you end up with a a postgrad student reading a bunch of uh, slides from a PowerPoint, being paid twenty quid an hour. Because the truth is, the professors are not. They, you know, they don't really like teaching. They no. like doing the research. They right. get huge research grants and things. And, and that's been going on for years and years. And it's about time it was called out. Yeah, absolutely right. Now, I'm not sure if you'll be doing this on Sunday, but we're going to do it a little bit later on in our show. Uh, the Metropolitan Police apparently is the worst force in England and Wales for solving sexual and violent crime. Just one in 20 offences resulting in a charge. That's appalling, isn't it? it, it it's utterly appalling. And it's halved in the last five years. Mm. And who's been in charge for the last mm. five years? Mm, I wonder. That would be it, Cressida Dick, wouldn't I it? I think it might be. That's the... That, I think that's the person yeah. that the Home Secretary reappointed yes. for continuity. Right. So does that mean over the next couple of years it's going to halve again? And, the, and also the woman at Kit Malthouse, the police and uh, crime minister, uh, said was doing a great job. I mean, it, it's quite extraordinary. These are the are they all seeing something that we're not seeing? No, the truth is they're not telling the truth. Yeah. And I think that more and more people are beginning to realise that. And that's what happens when you lose trust in a government when they say one thing. You believe, but if you believe the exact opposite, you will be closer to the reality. And you know this is just not good enough. Londoners are being completely let down yeah. by the the Met Police leadership under Cressida Dick, and and, and under the Mayor's leadership, uh, Sadiq Khan. And and this just goes on and on. And you know. Where's Sadiq Khan criticising these yeah. figures? He's nowhere to be seen. No, I mean, he only pops up every now and again on friendly radio stations uh, where they don't ask him any hard questions. When he's announcing the creation of some, some other dark, yeah. low-traffic neighbourhood. Oh, unveiling or... a new statue or something. <sighs> I mean, it, it, it's, it's pathetic, isn't it? Well, it's, it's not good enough. And it actually... It, these crime statistics are really shocking and that absolutely affects people's daily yeah. lives. Well, we and were is... asking uh, uh, these questions the other day and I had a, a text from someone who said they tried to get into a police station. It took them two hours to actually get anybody to even open the door. And there was a group of Polish men who had had um, all their equipment stolen from their van who had basically just given up and gone home and gone, we can't get the police to even talk to us about the crime that we have been victims of. Well, and, and um, funnily enough, a tenant of some uh, property I'm involved in up in uh, under the Greater Manchester Police... Mm. Um, uh, they had a, 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 a white van, three guys, got it all on CCTV footage, smashed into the shutters, uh, nicked all the tools. We gave the footage to the police, phoned up three weeks later to say, how's the investigation going on? You've got the footage. Oh, no, terribly sorry, sir. Um, we, can't, uh, we can't use facial recognition software mm. on the criminals because it's against their human rights. Oh, for God's sake. Seriously, what I is promise the point, you. Then? So, so what's more important, the human rights of the criminals or us the victim. Right. I mean, it's just outrageous. But does that mean there's no point in even having human uh, uh, facial recognition then? Exactly. if you can't I mean, use it, what's the point of it? It's utter madness, but this is Greater Manchester Police who so are, can, of course... So presumably they can use it uh, on you if you're not wearing a mask, even though they don't know who you are. There you are. I mean, I mean the, this is a police force that was in special measures yeah. whose chief constable had to go, uh, and yeah, it's just not good enough. Mm. It really is not good enough. We need some proper, robust firm, clear leadership, whether it's in the police, whether it's in the civil service, yeah. whether it's in government, and we're not getting it. Right. It's not good enough. Well, it's late Britain. We're out and about this morning again, uh, so I presume the police were standing around watching them. 
maybe giving them a round of applause. Well, let, let's find out. Well done I mean, for saving the planet. We know where they should be. In fairness, um, the Prime Minister did actually say where they should be, and they should be locked up. Yeah, they should. I mean, well, it's, there's, you know, there's no other issue. There's no other um, point about it. And they're so hypocritical. I think we discovered today in the in the papers that one of their leaders, um, you know, is very happy sort of going on long trips around Europe in his <laughs> battered out diesel car. I mean, you couldn't make this stuff no. up. Well, you the guy, really Roger couldn't. Hallam, whatever his name is, uh, has got six diesel powered vehicles on his farm when they're all old and clapped out. So presumably pumping out all sorts of nasty pollution. So so he's part of the, the emergency, yeah. the alarmist crisis. He is. I, I mean, mean, he himself uh, is probably responsible for killing off half part of Nepal. Well, the good news you is, that, anyway, the good news is that sensible people like you and I, mm. we are still enjoying meat. Yes. We're not part of the uh, significant reduction in meat <laughs> consumption that appears to have gone on. Certainly not. Uh, in the last uh, the last few years. Uh, I'm, I'm continuing to enjoy a fantastic... Uh, a British yes. beef and, and other British meat, dry aged beef. I oh, find. wonderful! Yeah. And lamb and pigs. Uh, you know, I'm. I, yeah, I enjoy I've got my to pick meat. up a leg of lamb actually as I drive past the farm shop in my Range Rover later on, <laughs> uh, which will be very nice too. I'll be very much looking forward to it at the weekend. Richard, good to see you. Um, I didn't get a chance to ask you about the show on Saturday, but I'm sure it'll be brilliant. Uh, Richard will be back ten o'clock Sunday morning. Don't miss it. This is Talk Radio, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Right now, though, uh, let's talk to Dr. Alan Mendoza, Executive Director of the Henry Jackson Society. There's a story on the front page of the Times today in which it says Britain has accused President Putin of choking off the supply of gas to Europe to increase energy prices and win approval for a new gas pipeline. Now, this is a story uh, that's been rumbling on for a while. Uh, Alan, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning, Mike. Um, it's a terrible situation we're all finding ourselves in in this country. I was just saying to Richard Tice there that, you know, there doesn't seem to be any end to the um, uh, the incredible acceleration of prices in the energy market. Um, and every single week that passes, people are being told, oh, actually, it's going to be another 100 quid or maybe another 200 quid or maybe another 500 quid. Um, and is it all down to Putin? Well, we've got a problem here in terms of the supply and demand uh, equation. You know what it's like, Mike? If there is not enough supply and there's great demand for a product, the price goes up. And that is what has happened with gas in particular when it comes down to what we're looking at right now. And what you've had is obviously a very cold winter last winter that drove up demand and depleted stocks. You then didn't have those stocks being replaced because uh, demand was accelerating as we were coming out of the wretched lockdowns. And now we're in a situation where, because supply hasn't increased, we're heading back into that winter uh, sort of period. The economy is humming along, wanting more gas. And guess what? There's not more gas. So as a result, prices are shooting up, uh, companies are getting bust, and we're all wondering what happens next. Yeah. And so, I mean, is Putin doing this sort of, I know because he wants this new pipeline, he wants to show what sort of um, uh, muscles he can flex, I suppose. But a part of me thinks he's doing it just because he can. Well, yeah, I mean, look, he's always contrarian. He wants to hurt the West wherever he can. He wants to sort of exert his own power. What better way to show your power than to say, essentially, I'm going to let your prices go through the roof. I could pump more gas if I wanted to, but I don't. So, yes, he certainly does want the pipeline. That is clear. They're, a, they're very big, by the way, commercial reasons why. If he gets that pipeline, he cuts out transiting gas through Ukraine. It saves Russia billions and billions of dollars, which they won't have to pay to Ukraine for transit rights. So there is money involved in this, but there's also power, as you've quite rightly pointed out. Yes. And where is Germany in all of this? Because what we know from the European Union sort of gas stocks, if you like, is that they've still got relatively large amounts of, uh, of, of of holding storage, haven't they? Whereas we haven't. 
Well, yeah, this is the interesting part. Uh, Britain, unfortunately, um, does not have and has never had a large uh, sort of gas reserve capacity. The Germans and other countries in Europe have much larger gas reserve capacities, which means that they can use those reserves if necessary. That can regulate uh, uh, you know, their, their supply and indeed their, um, their needs a lot more. So the Germans can right now get hold of that large gas supply. That means they can level out the prices. There's also EU stuff they can play around with that can help level the price out. And we're, of course, being buffeted mm. because we have such narrow margins when it comes to, uh, you know, sort of the inputs of gas and the output of gas. Right. And as far as this new pipeline is concerned, it's supposed to be going under the Baltic Sea. So who would it be supplying effectively? Well, it's going into Germany, it comes under the Baltic Sea from Russia all the way to Germany. It goes to Germany and from there it can be dispersed around the world. But like I said, the key to it is that it avoids transiting through Ukraine and avoids Russia having to pay billions to the Ukrainians for the right mm. to transit their gas through. Right. So it is very much about supplying Europe and he wants to be able to supply Europe directly. But of course, the more he supplies Europe, the more he has a chokehold on Europe's future as well. Yes, exactly right. And because we are no longer in the European Union, whatever deal that he does with the Germans presumably won't be a deal that we are part of. Yes, thank goodness uh, on that basis, because of course, <laughs> we you know, we don't want to be beholden to Vladimir Putin. The one thing you know we should all notice is that our own gas supplies are very limited in measure from Russia. We get a lot from Norway, we get a lot actually from Qatar in terms of liquefied natural gas. Not that I'm particularly happy the Qataris have a similar tool to us, but you know, it's not coming from Russia in that sense. So um, we wouldn't be part of any uh, EU deal, and nor would we want to. No, exactly right. So what is the future then, do you think, for our energy supply? Because clearly um, everybody's been talking about how we should not have done away with the storage that we did have in the North Sea. We should not have given most of our kind of uh, gas holding facilities to ne the Netherlands, which is what we appear to have done. But there doesn't seem to be any appetite for fracking uh, or indeed finding our own um, sort of, you know, old fashioned energy sources here. So what are we going to do? Because we can't go through this every year, can we? Well, of course we can't. And so clearly there is a national security issue and we need to be looking very carefully at what the options are. Now, you've mentioned someone already. If you don't want to go fracking, fine. If you don't want to use coal, fine. Where are you going to go? And your only options there are nuclear, of course, which raises its own set of questions, although it is a clean energy form in this regard, um, or you go for the renewables. But, you know, we discovered with the renewables, part of the problem in the UK was I think we had our, our, our least windy summer since 1961, and yeah. that has killed the wind energy capacity. You can, only, you can only get renewables if there is the energy source that's able to give that to you. So what is the long-term answer? That is something that politicians are going to have to come up with pretty quickly, because as you say, Otherwise, we run the risk of this happening year in, year out, right. having external forces control our energy supply. Well, I can't believe quite how calm everybody is about it, because it seems to me that it's out of control. I was saying to Richard earlier, you know, there's no end, apparently, to the rise in price. There is nothing that tells me that the price is going to level off. We had record gas prices uh, on the wholesale market just the other day. But there's no indication that that's going to go back down. I mean, I don't hear anybody saying in the energy business, oh, don't worry, when, once you get to February, it'll all go back to sort of 50% of where it is now. I don't hear anyone saying that. The, the feeling is that it, slightly longer term than that, say in, uh, in, in about nine months' time, it will revert because of seasonal demand issues and the way this kind of kicks off and out. 
But that does deploy, that depends entirely on the Russians being able to supply more right now. Mm. Look what happened, by the way, when Putin on Wednesday said, I will supply more. Suddenly the price per therm crashed from 400 to about 270. Right. So you can see that little you know, sort of inputs by Russia make a huge difference to the market. Now that's yeah. not something we should be comfortable with, but it is the reality that you can see a transformation of this if supply does increase. Yes, but surely the government should be getting to grips with this, shouldn't they? Government needs to be planning a longer term energy security strategy. Where is the UK's energy going to come from in five to 10 years time to avoid situations like this? I mean, you can't transfer it overnight. What is the answer? And of course, it's going to be balancing all its environmental interests on the other side, which stops some of the things that you were mentioning earlier mm. from viable options. Right. So you're going to have potentially a clash between environmental issues and national security issues when it comes to energy supply. And that's what the government's going to have to get to grips with. Yeah, well, let's hope they get to grips with it sooner rather than later. Dr. Alan Mendoza, thank you very much indeed. Executive Director of the Henry Jackson Society uh, on the news, as reported on the front page of The Times this morning, uh, that Vladimir Putin has been accused of choking the gas supply to push up the price because there's no doubt that whenever uh, Russia sneezes the rest of Europe catches a cold because here's what's going on uh, and it may well be that he's doing it for entirely um, you know selfish reasons he may be doing it just to make money he may be doing it to ride the markets he may be doing it uh, because when he reduces the supply to Europe then all of a sudden the price of gas wholesale goes through the roof and if you're selling it then that's a good time to be selling it and then when you decide you want to sort of somehow make a profit on all of that, then you reduce the price by offering more to the market. So Vladimir Putin is playing everybody for an idiot at this point, it seems to me. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, I don't know whether the Metropolitan Police were on hand this morning, but down uh, at Old Street Roundabout, which is near the City of London, Ricky Freelove, uh, content editor at Talk Radio, was down there. Ricky's there now. Ricky, very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. So, uh, what, what did you see? Tell us what's going on. Yeah, around 8.30 this morning, Insulate Britain were back up to their old tricks out on the streets here on Old Street Roundabout, and also, as you heard, in the traffic and travel there on the Junction 25, on the M25, up to their old tricks, sitting on the floor and gluing their hands to the tarmac like absolute idiots. This, of mm. course, comes after Boris Johnson referred to them as irresponsible crusties and also Pretty Patel increasing that maximum sentence for disruption of a motorway or a, uh, a highway. Mm. Well, are they going to actually lock them up this time? Because they keep promising to lock them up, but they keep taking them to police stations and letting them go. Well, it looks like this. This looks like Insulate Britain are goading the Home Secretary. I think they want to see what's going to happen this time. As you can see now on the footage on Talk Radio TV, there are around 20 protesters mm. that were arrested this morning uh, on suspicion of obstructing a, a highway. And, uh, you know, some of the tricks they're up to. One, one poor chap, uh, it super glued his hand in a cycle lane. 
Does it get any more stupid than that? Surely, of all people that you want to annoy, is surely cyclists are allies of Inchlet Britain. I, I, I don't understand that at all. Also, some of the old lads here, and they were middle class, middle aged or elderly. That was the sort of demographic of people that were here. Mm. One of the men that got arrested was so frail, he had to have a lie down after he got arrested. Dear I mean, me. I mean, this is the thing. They seem to be riddled with, with white, middle-class people, either retirees uh, or younger people who appear to be on benefits. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Mike. And just the, the crowd that was around me this morning, it was very, very hostile. It was very, very angry and aggressive. The police did a remarkably good job. I think you know, they're there more to protect the protesters than they are than just to arrest them themselves. And look, I can't possibly repeat some of the comments that I heard this morning, but it was very, very aggressive. And fortunately for the protesters, we didn't see the footage that we had earlier this week on Talk Radio, where uh, it got rather heated and uh, members of the public manhandled members of, yes. of uh, Insulate Britain. Well, I must admit, I thought that had done the trick, you know, because they didn't appear for a couple of days. And I thought they've obviously seen what can happen to them. And they don't really fancy the idea that they might be manhandled or worse uh, by the guys down near the Blackwall Tunnel and by the Wandsworth Bridge Brigade. Um, but seemingly they've obviously reconsidered that. Um, and so I guess we're going to see another uh, couple of days of this. But I presume not tomorrow and Sunday, because as we know, they don't work at the weekend. I think you're right, Mike. And also, this, I think this is the first time we've seen them uh, on Old Street, which is, of course, in Islington. So obviously all the darlings of uh, Islington didn't fancy making their way out to the M25 today. They thought just pop down the road. Well, nice and, uh, keep, yeah, it, lo- keep nice... it local. You know, that's all good for the environment, isn't it? Absolutely. There's a nice weight trace around here as well. <laughs> Very nice. So have they all gone now? Or are there still some of them left of a line around? No, all gone, all done and dusted. The police managed to wrap this up in under an hour and all, I believe, around 20 have been arrested on a, on a similar charge. And yeah. now traffic is back to normal. And it was amazing, actually, how quickly traffic just returned to normal. I thought the queues would be absolutely miles long. But from what I've seen, it looks like a lot of cars have just turned around and found another way. It was just buses. Well, I mean, the one thing about holding up the traffic in London is that the traffic in London doesn't move much anyway. So you wouldn't really know that there was an insulate uh, Britain uh, protest going on. You'd think it was just some bleeding cyclists uh, in front of you. Yeah, and also there's plenty of roadworks going on here as well. So, oh, yeah. I, mean, I think the, the traffic was at a standstill anyway. It wasn't going anywhere. Well, thanks to Sadiq Khan and his uh, sort of insane traffic uh, plans, Old Street Roundabout seems to have become one of those roundabouts that goes in two opposite directions, like the one at Elephant Castle. And nobody really knows what to do. Yeah, and I think also when it grinds to a halt and you've got around, I don't know, 30 police cars and motorbikes and ambulances all trying to drive around as well, going on the other side of the road, it gets even more confusing. Right. I have to say, Mike, the amount of police officers around this morning, it must have been around 50, maybe 60 police officers yeah. that were in the area dealing with these, you know, the crusties, as Boris Johnson referred to them. Yeah. And you have to, you have to wonder, what on earth are these environmental protesters doing that's 50 maybe 60 police officers that aren't you know on the street they're not actually able to do actual serious investigations or arrest people for serious comes down to deal with these nutters yeah and hope trying to protect them from members of the public from doing them over yeah. that, that's what we've got to now mike well that's the trouble i seem to remember that extinction rebellion uh, and their protest over the last two years have ended up costing the police something like 50 odd million quid so these guys will be well into the millions already Easily, easily. They also had the police helicopter flying above as well, and that's not a cheap operation no. just to fly over just to see what's going on. Right. But honestly, the, the number of vehicles here this morning and the number of officers was absolutely astounding and really quite really quite worrying when you think where they could be and what they could yes. be doing. 
Well, I wonder as well whether any of these numpties came up to you to try and make their case to you. I mean, if they've got a new mantra, because, you know, last time we heard from them, they were all going on about stopping people from dying of the cold, which seemed to be mm. a slightly different mantra from the previous week, which was all about saving the planet. Yeah, I, I still am not entirely sure what the, the purpose of Insulate Britain is, because it's definitely not just about insulating the homes anymore, because there are plenty of tradies that were trying to get to jobs, probably some of them trying to insulate people's homes, mm. and they couldn't get to the jobs because they're being blocked by these numpsies. Yeah. But from, from the people I spoke with this morning, you know, no one seems to know what exactly Insulate Britain stands for here on the streets of, of, of Old Street in London. So look, if, if the message clearly isn't getting out, they just look like they're a bunch of idiots that are blocking everyone's you know, route into work. Yeah, what a coincidence. Because that's exactly what they are. <laughs> what can you say? Well, Ricky, listen, appreciate it. Thank you very much indeed. Ricky Freelove reporting live uh, from Old Street Roundabout, uh, which is, as he says, in and part of North London, not too unadjacent to Islington. So they didn't have very far to come uh, and they didn't really make any difference to anybody's commute. And they really didn't actually convince anyone that it's time to insulate your house. I mean, if you actually thought about what they do and you decided, oh, I know, I'll go and insulate my house now. I don't think you would, would you? Absolutely ridiculous. What a waste of everybody's time and everybody's energy. 0344 499 uh, Steve informed me, says, I can solve everyone's problems if we all become civil servants, do nothing, actually productive, earn high wages on big pensions, retire early and make room for more civil servants. Then that will be the way forward. Well, absolutely right. Incredible, isn't it? Benedict says this. It goes without saying that Insulate Britain are utter lunatics. Insulating homes in the UK will help save the planet. Why not do something productive like fill in La Palma Volcano or glue yourselves to Tiananmen Square? Or even better, stop being raving hypocrites. Absolutely ridiculous. You know, the point about uh, the Insulate Britain protest is that, one, they achieve nothing. Two, as Ricky just told us, they're using up a whole load of police resources. And we're about to talk about the police in this country because the police in this country are struggling to keep up with all of the violent crime that is being uh, perpetrated on victims and all of the sexual crime which is being perpetrated on victims. According to a new report, the worst performing force in the police in England and Wales is the Metropolitan Police, where only one in 20 offences results in actually a charge being brought. Now that, I'm afraid, is shameful, isn't it? So we need to hear from you this morning. We need to know what you had uh, your experience the last time you had any dealings with the police, whether it was um, being policed by them at a protest, whether it was being visited by them at your home, whether it was something related to COVID restrictions, whether it was something related to whether you should have been wearing a mask or drinking a coffee or walking in the wrong direction, or whether something actually happened to you, like you had your house burgled or you had your car stolen or you had your bicycle stolen or heaven forbid you were attacked by somebody. And what did the police do? How sympathetic were they? How useful were they? How useless were they? We need to know. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk radio. Now, we've been asking you for your stories and lots of you have called up, so we will get to you all. So do bear with us and be patient, please, if you don't mind. We'll come to you very shortly. But first, we're going to speak to Di Davis, who's the former police officer and head of Royal Protection. We speak to him on all sorts of different occasions. The Metropolitan Police has very much been in the spotlight, obviously, since the Sarah Everard murder, uh, since the Wayne Cousins story of how it was possible for some uh, somebody like him to remain in the police force, despite the fact that he had been reported on several occasions for behaviour which was at the very least unbecoming a police officer. The biggest problem though and a bigger problem I think for the police is not just what happened with Wayne Cousins but it's how they're actually dealing with crime and the answer to that is they're not dealing with it very well. Let's talk to Di and find out why. Di Davis a very good morning to you. 
Uh, good morning to you, Mike. Thank you very much indeed, Di. Now, it seems to me that you and I haven't spoken for a while, but whenever we did speak, um, you're very much of the old school of policing where, you know, you catch the guys who did it, uh, you make sure you charge them, you make sure you've got a watertight case, and you make sure you get a conviction. That doesn't seem to be happening anymore. Well, I share your concern, but uh, can I deal firstly with my concern over the fact that the Metropolitan Police knew that Cousins was coming up for sentence, had months to prepare, and what I want to hear from them is what they're actually going to do to protect women and children um, in abusive. Um, And that's one of the key areas, because sexual offences, the conviction rate in this country is appalling. So what I've done is I've written my own list of things that if I was the commissioner or I was the divisional commander, I would want to reassure women today that I've got my act together and I've got a strategy to deal with violence. Now, I'm not sure if you're interested in that aspect, but I'm deeply concerned. No, I'm very interested. Tell us, let's go through your 10 points and, and, and let's hear them. Well, the first thing is to recognise the deep worry and concern that women have in respect of safety and violence, both in this in the capital and in the country. Let's hear a powerful voice. We hear you and we're going to act. And these are the strategic points that we're going to actually do. Mm. First, I was a divisional commander. I was in charge of Hayes and then a little bit of Uxbridge. And then when I was a divisional commander, when racial attacks were so prevalent in the capital, each divisional commander had to sign off and ensure that we did everything to ensure that the perpetrators and the crime was actually uh, investigated Mm. properly. So I'd make each divisional commander, a superintendent or chief superintendent, responsible for his or her patch and ensure that every report goes through him or her to ensure that they do the job properly. That way you'll get a senior, hopefully, knowledgeable officer ensuring that we've done everything we can on any related attack both outside or inside the home that's the first thing Mm. the other thing is i would say right as of now between the hours of darkness in identified areas we will patrol we will put special constables those useless community support but at least they're in uniform Mm. we'll put them out there we will maximize where possible each of those identified areas on our patch where women have been attacked or there is a potential because of the location, uh, the woods, the trees, whatever. Right. Right. Then we will strengthen, where possible, every domestic violence unit. We will put people who are properly trained and not one of these who say, well, I'll do it when I'm next on duty. No. Priority has to be given to violence against women in this country. We've had enough talk from politicians the mayor, that useless mayor of London, in my opinion, <laughs> and everybody else. But nobody puts a strategy, so I'll carry on. Yes. No crime against a woman will be screened out. So many, as in Manchester, thousands of crimes were screened out. That will not happen. Mm. When you, you say know, screened out, do you mean they're not counted, or what does that mean? Yeah, not counted, not investigated, or somebody in an office says, well, that's not worth investigating. Nonsense. Right. We've got to get the attitude. And the other big thing, my opening thing is, if you get the culture right, the culture of policing, the rest will follow you. What we've lost is that strong leadership culture. Uh, And and I'm afraid to say that's at the door of Commissioner, Mm. the Commissioner and her current senior team. Yes.
And the point about all of this, right, is that the rates of conviction uh, are probably even lower than the rates of the charges that are being brought, right? But they've dropped significantly since 2016. Apparently, nationally, police solve fewer than 9% of sexual and violent offences, which is less than half of the 19% in 2016. So it's getting worse. Well, it is. And there needs to be a review into the way evidence, and I think there is, evidence is given in criminal courts, We've got to actually look at the evidential that we put forward. Beyond all reasonable doubt, clever QCs and barristers can always raise a doubt in most cases, in Mm. a lot of cases, and that's why the conviction. But everybody blames the police. I blame the criminal justice system and and the games the lawyers play with little or no regard, some of them, as to the victim. And the other thing, in my day... When we, before CPS, I saw every victim. When I was a a sergeant or inspector or even chief inspector, I saw every victim and I saw what they were like. I could test their evidence and all the rest of it. These days, it's all paper. And very rare does a CPS lawyer actually see, hear or deal with the victim. So we've got bureaucracy, as always, uh, blighting this system. So there needs to be a review of the criminal justice system we also look at sentencing, my old pet. We let rapists, murderers out after X amount of years. Right. That's, their, that's their right, and that's the system. And then we're surprised when they actually go on to commit more murders right. or rape people or abuse people. We've got to look at it again, how we control violent people in this country. Yes. And if it's necessary, I'll put more of them, like cousins, in prison forever. Yeah. And of course, we've been hearing an awful lot, die in the last few weeks about women's violence and the violence against women perpetrated by men. But of course, there are three times as many men who have violent acts committed against them by criminals who are happen also to be men as well. But nobody's really yeah. talking about that. Well, we're not. Uh, but uh, I, I'm, I'm, because of the hoo-ha over cousins and this dreadful murder, I'm trying to put my brain, if you like, into what the Met and other police force should be doing now. We've heard there's going to be review by some independent so-called person. Well, look what happened with Sheikh Bashir. As you know, on, 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 I said he'd committed criminal offences. Yeah. Uh, a review by a learned judge said, and, and, and the police, no, there isn't. Look at Prince Andrew. They've had, they're on their third review into him. Yeah. Reviews, unless you investigate, you never find evidence. And that's the problem. We're too quick not to investigate. And mm. that may be because we've got the blind leading the blind. In other words, nobody's taught some of these senior officers how to investigate in the first place. Yes. And is and, that an issue, do you think? Do you think they just don't know what they're doing effectively? Well, I mean, I, I hate to say it. Of course, there are some very good investigators. Of course, there are some good detectives. But the old school detective appears to have gone. Mm. You know, the old, when I joined in the late 60s, they were men who'd been to war. They were men who, who had experience of life. We now have graduates. We have people who are managers in Marks and Spencers and now can come in fast track to a superintendent. I, I, I've got 52 years experience here and abroad of investigating things. I'm telling you, I'm screaming with despair at what I see. There are a few good examples. The new chief constable in Manchester has said, judge me on my performance, and if in two years I haven't improved out of all recognition, 
I will go. I only wish a few politicians would say that, but they don't, do they? Well, you really don't. No, they make a lot of noises. They talk about bringing more police officers in. They talk about bulk, you know, bulking up the force. I mean, I was saying this morning we would have these insulate Britain idiots at Old Street Roundabout, a place I'm sure you'll remember well. Um, and there was something like 40 to 50 police officers just there alone. And I mean, it seems well, to me, surely you don't need that many cops to deal with these idiots. Well, their little asses wouldn't touch the proverbial deck if I was in charge, I can assure you. <laughs> no, quite. Um, well, they wouldn't be like doing it as much as they have been if they were treated uh, slightly more roughly, I would suggest. Well, I, I'm not, for, <laughs> I'm not for touching anybody roughly. All I'm doing is enforcing the law. And you've got enough, again, with, this has been going on now for weeks. Surely we've come up with a strategy to deal with it. And you have the TSG and other mobilized unit who can be quickly deployed to wherever these nonsense lunatics are doing this it beggars belief the lack of if you like clout now being applied but look it, it as i say it's not just the police look at the criminal justice system the court the sentencing and all the rest of it the truth is we are in a mess and we care more about criminals rights than we do about victims rights and i, I just despair you know i'm getting an old man now but i'm despairing at the lack of credible leadership in the police in the criminal justice system and i'm fed up with clever lawyers spouting off about rights this that and the other let's have some rights that women and men can walk the streets in safety yes. that's what i want to hear and i want to hear strong leadership talking to a camera without looking down at a bit of paper and the other thing the commissioner came out with two men who looked at absolute disgrace they looked like the Taliban in uniform. They had beards down to their navels. Yeah. They were fat. How on earth they passed the fitness test? Oh, were those the two awesome. guys that I saw walking with Crested the Dick? Yes. Yeah, I couldn't they believe that. Straight. I thought it was like something out of a central casting. I thought they were making a comedy movie. Well, in my day, if you looked like that, you wouldn't stay in the force very long. When I took over royalty protection, there were one or two looking like that. Mm. They didn't last very long, I can assure you. No, exactly right. What, it shows the mentality, doesn't it? They were, that was a PR, mm. and it was a PR going across this country and the world, and they epitomised the lack of discipline, the lack of smartness in, in police officers. Yeah. And if you don't, it's like a clean ship, it's a happy ship. Right. And if you don't have a, a tidy policemen and women looking like them, now they have tattoos till they're blue in the face, they can have hair any length they like, it beggars belief. I know. <clears throat> it is extraordinary. Richard Tice was in here for the Reform uh, Party earlier, and he was telling me a story of some um, burglars that got caught on CCTV, um, and the police couldn't use the CCTV and the facial recognition um, uh, software that they had installed at this particular building because apparently it was against the human rights of the potential burglars. Well, there's a word that starts with B, and got two L's in the minute, <laughs> and a KS at the end. I, I, if that's true, it is just shows what state we've come in. Yeah. Uh, you know, but again, Pretty Patel talks a good job. I'm yet to see her or her chief constables uh, or the mayor of London get a grip. Mm. And they pontificate till the cows come home. But nobody, as I keep saying, comes up with a strategy for today and tomorrow to deal with crime. No. But it isn't just the police. And of course, the other thing that I, I, I've been looking at very clearly, and hopefully maybe an article in one of the newspapers, is how we vet people. Mm. And again, you know, uh, there are 10 key occupations where psychopaths 
tend to join. I'm sorry to say journalists above police. Yes, I'm afraid that's very true. I've known plenty of psychopaths in this business. Well, I've known one or two in the police, and I've got rid of one or two of them in my day. But I I listened to former Detective Chief Superintendent Hill talking to a former uh, black superintendent, and boy, does she talk sense. That woman uh, pitifies what a good detective should be hmm. and was. And everybody had such regard. Sue Hill is her name. Okay. And everybody has such a high regard for her capability. We're so lacking in people at that level, chief superintendent, who are capable, in my opinion. Yes. And what is it about violent and sexual crime that seems to be so difficult to um, get charges brought through for? Because it seems to me that an awful lot of the violent sexual crime in particular takes place uh, inside the home, because we know from the statistics that we brought out over the Sarah Everett case that most women who are attacked and or killed um, are are killed or are attacked by by their partners. Well, you're absolutely right. And again, uh, one of the key things in my recommendation is that you enforce the domestic violence unit. Mm. But equally so, uh, even when I was a sergeant inspector, the man, if he was the violent man, would come with me. And quite often, the women wouldn't uh, support it because they've got children, they live in a house. It is a difficult situation. But again, Women need support. They need far better support uh, in in whatever structure there is. And, of course, women's aid has been around as long as I have. And, again, they do an incredible job. Where we fall down is the investigative process, the legal process, the court system, which allows, but unfortunately, some women go back and back and they seem to go for the same type of violent individual. Yes. But we've got to send out exemplary exemplary sentencing for men who hurt women. End of story. Yeah. And as you said before, if you are a, a violent uh, sexual offender, don't get, don't, don't, you don't let those people back out onto the streets, do you? Well, you don't until you've properly assessed them. Um, without going into details of uh, psychology, and I'm not a psychologist, but uh, life experience has taught me there are key characteristics. And what I want to see in the promotion system is that you look to ensure, because you've got them at every level in the police force, it's not just Mm. constable, you've got them all the way up. And if you've got a, as we know, and there are chief constables and deputies in senior positions, both in the Met, who have been investigated for violence and and, 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 uh, offences against women. What on earth are they still doing? So one of the last points I want to say, and you may not know it, but there is a moral code for all police officers in this country, came out about four or five years ago, and essentially nobody seems to either know it or enforce it. Mm. Now, the last thing I'll say about this, every police officer should sign a civil uh, legal document saying that he or she will not commit any sexual, any misogyny, anything that will cause uh, the, the office of constable to be brought into disrepute. If you do, if you aid in the bet people like cousins, then you will be dealt with as a principal and you will be sacked. Let's get some teeth into police discipline. We seem to have lost that art as well. Mm. Di, it seems to me that your 10-point plan is eminently sensible, uh, eminently affordable and quite doable. So uh, where, where are you going to send it? Well, I wish you could send it. I wish you could get a senior officer to and ask them, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you setting out that message instead of sending that commissioner with those two Taliban types to talk a load of rubbish? Right. 
Well, it's a very good question. I'll see what I can do. Get me a copy of it and I shall pass it on to the appropriate authorities. Di Davis, what a, what a splendid man he is. Former police officer, former head of Royal Protection. A bloke who seems to know an awful lot about policing and is telling us all why the police at the moment are not doing any of the things that they should be doing. Right. The analysis uh, that we're talking about today is based on police data, which shows the proportion of violent and sexual offences where a suspect is charged has fallen from 14 percent in five years to just five percent in August of last year. So it's probably even less than that now. And if you think about one in 20 cases actually only resulting in a charge, imagine how many of those charges actually then don't result in a conviction. And so it will probably end up being one in 30 rather than one in 20. I mean, it's a shocking admission of irresponsibility by the police in this country. It's a shocking admission of an inability to actually do the job, isn't it? The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So I'm delighted to say uh, Claire Fox is back. I haven't seen you for a while. Welcome. It's great to be here. How are you doing? I'm fine. I mean, I'm, uh, you know, we have got this big festival, so I'm slightly nervous uh, nervous and anxious and all that. But just to say, you know, I just um, did the usual party conference uh, bit, speaking at fringe meetings and so on. Uh And so you, you could say, well, you know, there's been a lot of political talking at those conferences. But I think that what we're trying to do with the Battle of Ideas Festival it's a bit like talk radio, which is we've got a different approach to uh, political discussion. Mm. We do have 270 plus uh, speakers, but half the time of every single one of the 75 panel discussions, half the time is given over to the audience. Right. And so the idea is, so is that you have some public thing. conversation. Yeah, yeah, we need to talk, don't we? We do. We don't need to be lectured to. Right. The speakers will be there to facilitate and, you know, do quick, short provocations, mm. but so that the audience can get their yes. say. Because, I mean, I find it amazing that we have so many people in this country who don't want you to speak, who don't want to hear what you've got to say, who don't want your ideas to be out there. Because, as far as I know, nothing bad has ever come of speaking to one another about stuff. Well, you're absolutely right um, when you said in, in the introduction that you can't turn around but for there being a free speech issue. Yes. I mean, I, I don't know if you saw, but YouTube have announced that they are now going to remove misinformation, as they say it, about um, climate change. Oh, and, yeah. of course, that started with COVID yes. misinformation. Right. And when they and say it's misinformation, word, though, it's, it? a, it's a very interesting word. And the government and I'll be uh, rowing about this in the House of Lords, the government are bringing in this online safety bill, and it's really quite frightening Mm. because it does give huge power to big tech to decide which information we as citizens get to listen to. Mm. Now, I think that we're all smart enough to be able to hear all sorts of information and work out what we consider to be misinforming us. What we don't need is some truth ministry deciding before we ever get to hear what they've decided is true or not. That's a frightening thought. And that is a frightening thought because when you ask who is actually making those decisions, you can't find out. I mean, at least if somebody in Parliament is passing a bill, you know who's behind it, you know who you can talk to about it. But at YouTube or at Facebook or even on Twitter... There are these faceless kind of technocrats uh, who sit in judgment on everybody else. Absolutely, and I really would urge listeners to keep your eye out for that online safety bill because they're presenting it as like, oh, it'll keep you safe online. And obviously we all have to put up with the endless trolls and all the rest of it. And it all sounds very appealing and Mm. it's all about protecting children. We understand that. But if you actually look at the detail of the bill, it's much more frightening. But just on the everyday thing, I think that we've all been aware of the fact that free speech 
has, you know, the attacks on free speech has been ratcheted up into cancel culture. Mm. And cancel culture really is quite a phenomenon because it actually is where you denounce somebody, you smear them, you call them all sorts of names, and then you call for them to be sacked. Yes. And we had an example of this only yesterday, which was at Sussex University. The place yesterday morning was plastered with posters attacking somebody called Kathleen Stock. Okay. Not a household name. Uh, she's a philosophy professor. But it actually, these posters actually said Kathleen Stock uh, make, is, is, you know, uh, makes trans uh, students unsafe. So that makes it sound like she's the threat. Well, actually, all these posters said, sack Kathleen Stock, mm. and no debate should be allowed. That's what they basically right. said. And, you know, here is a philosophy professor who's got a great book out called Material Girls, which you should read. She's not threatening anyone. Mm. The real people who are doing the threatening are these bullies right. who are trying to the cancel her. The trying to stop her from talking. I mean, that is like a kind of McCarthyism, trying yeah. to get people sacked. And we saw that with somebody who I know has been on the show and will be on again, Nick Buckley, where yeah. they actually succeeded. Yes. But it's, it's, it's not even the people who get cancelled. It's a lesson to everyone. So the problem for Kathleen Stock uh, at Sussex University is that anyone who wants to support her mm. then is a bit like, well, I don't want my name plastered sure. all over the place. I don't want to be called a bigot on right. campus. So it, it silences everyone well. else. And right? a lot of people as well who can't be sure that they won't be affected by it and who can't possibly maybe afford to get sacked. Of course. Genuinely worry about it. No, and I, and I don't blame them. And I'm not even saying, you know, everyone should stand up because saying have courage comrades as it were yes. is, is 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 not fair if you're in a job that's a bit insecure yeah. so i'm just saying as a chilling impact i mean kathleen stock is one of the speakers on the uh, the battle of ideas on on a debate on heresy but i think that your um point about every single issue we face at the moment whether it's hgv drivers whether it's the economy yeah. whether it's whether we should adopt the new normal even debates on arts and classical music, right. all of these things are now subject to people oh, yeah. saying you can't say that. Now we're getting people talking not just about statues, but about paintings no. that were painted in a time when perhaps, you know, um, the slave owners were, were driving, you know, what people thought. And therefore, this painting depicts something which is somehow evil. So we shouldn't have it up in a gallery. Yeah. And, and what you get is you get something like classical music, which is, um, uh, you know, from the tradition of, of beauty and uh, complex uh, ideas mm. associated with music is now apparently associated with slavery, colonialism, right. Beethoven's out. Yes. And then, of course, if then a classical music uh, professor says, as, as one of them did recently, um, actually, I defend Beethoven, then the call is well you're a, an apologist for yeah, white supremacy right. and you need to be cancelled I know so, and so Amazing. it goes on I don't know where it came from really do you well I, I think that to a, to a certain extent because we were complacent about the importance of free speech I think we probably all assumed yeah. it was a foundational value mm. it's identity politics in particular has kind of given the green light to different identity groups to use this as a power weapon yes. I mean there's a new clerisy of power brokers mm. who can shout, cancel them, and that gives them an enormous clout. It, by the way, this is happening not just on student campuses, in case you think it's just those kind of mm. snowflakey. This is throughout corporate land. I mean, oh, corporate sure. culture is now basically saying what you can and can't say, yeah. and big corporations are telling their staff that they need to sign up for you know, everything from critical race theory to uh, all sorts of peculiar ideas in relation to identity and so on. Yeah. You've, you've covered it here about the kind of rainbows everywhere. You've just said about the police. I mean, yeah. the police force are full of it, right? Right. You know, it, it's like 
you think, what are you doing? Do your job. Mm. Why are you telling us what your yeah. value? We don't care. Right. right. Do the job. But anyway, so the festival, and I'll hold it up now, well, is yeah, the Battle of Ideas. It put it into that camera there, and you'll in, into that it. camera. But it, but really, honestly, we need to talk. I mean, goodness knows, mm. there's plenty of very difficult things facing us. Yes. The state of the health service, what we're going to do about uh, energy crisis. Yes. Has Brexit worked out or not? I mean, right. is it a disaster, as people, some well, people think, are saying? These are I open think, I discussions. I think the jury's out on that because we, don't, we haven't really got to the no. end of it yet, have we? All I'm saying is that's the kind of argument you need to right. have and you need to hear all mm. sides. We've got loads of people speaking who are environmentalists. I won't agree with them, yeah. but that's good, the right? The other thing that's a problem, I think, now is that everybody's so sure of everything. And it's like, you can't be. There are lots of things that you're not sure about and you shouldn't be sure about because you don't know. You're right. so right. And, and and we always say that if you walk out of one of the sessions at the festival and say, I'm more confused than when I walked in, we've done a good job. That's right. Because you've realised that, oh, it's not quite as black and mm. white or simplistic as I right. thought it was. And, you know, sometimes we all do it a bit like, you know, woke versus anti-woke. You know, I'm on this side, I'm on that side. Having principles is fine. Yeah. But what you do need to do is be open-minded. Mm. Things change. Yeah. You know, you have to be able to adapt to the new world. I mean, we couldn't have imagined that COVID would would be upon us that we'd no. have to consider what our attitude well, was to the epidemiology yeah. a year ago. If, if, if I'd two said years, to yeah. you two years ago, in order for you to get a job, and I'm not sure this is happening much here, but it's certainly now happening in America quite a bit, you're going to have to have two jabs. Otherwise, we're not even going to recruit you, not even going to think about interviewing you, not even going to consider hiring you, no matter how good you are at whatever it is. And I can't, I, I can't imagine, and we didn't have to consider that. And that's a real moral dilemma. Yeah. The issue about care workers being mandated to have uh, vaccination... I've been on the programme and said I'm on the wrong... You know, I completely disagree with yes. that. But I do understand that there are people who've got relatives in care homes who worry about non-vaccinated care workers. Yeah. All I'm saying is these are genuine moral dilemmas. If you don't have free speech, you can't discuss it, can no. you? Um, when we no, start... if you just get told, well, you're yeah. obviously an idiot. You're obviously stupid. Yeah. You're obviously some kind of COVID denier. Yeah. Uh, therefore, you can just go and get in the bin while we get on with our you know, much cleverer policy. Exactly. It polarises people. It means that you don't go into the subtleties. When we started this festival 16 years ago, can you believe that? Mm. Our slogan was free speech allowed. Well, we didn't think that was very radical. I mean, as the years have gone <laughs> right. on, it's become almost revolutionary. Yeah, I mean, just to say to people, come along. And also, the other thing I thought you'd like from talk radio, when we started this and over the years, quite a lot of people, when we ask them to speak, they say things like... You mean it's a public festival? Mm. You know, like anyone can come. Yeah. And they say, isn't that dangerous? And you can tell that what a lot of people who are on the professional circuit, talking circuit, think is, oh, and if you let the public in, won't they all be kind of like knuckle okay, draggers bit, or yeah. inarticulate yeah. or when it get very leery? And the reality is, is that that's just an insulting view of your, one's fellow citizens. One right. of the fantastic things is from young to old, even with different opinions, mm. we are more than capable of having arguments and discussions and debates without it turning into fisticuffs. Yes. You can actually have intelligent argument. That's something which people tell us won't happen. Right. And I also think that this idea that, you know, people are, I'm afraid, a little bit into echo chambers. Yes. They don't kind of want to hear. Like yeah. you said, they think, mm. I'm right. Don't tell me what else yeah. to think. Well, actually... The only way that you can even be sure that you're right is to hear the opposition yeah. point of view. Well, I'll sometimes get messages from people on social media saying, why have you let so-and-so uh, get a show? Or why is 
Why is this woman on? Why is that bloke on? You shouldn't be putting these views out. Yeah. Like, well, they're not my views. They're somebody else's views. Yeah, exactly. And actually, if you don't like those views, then have an argument with him. Yeah, you no, know, exactly. Don't take it out I, and say, I only want to hear one view. I mean, the thing is, is that it's it's tempting. And, and, and to be honest, if you're on the side of free speech and sometimes you and I will be on the same side on things that are, un- are controversial mm. or criticism of lockdown or whatever, uh, uh, you know, sometimes uh, critical of the environmentalist orthodoxies and dogmas, those kind of things. It, it, you can sort of, and, and you're smeared by these people on the other side who say you're deniers of mm. one sort or another. It can be very tempting to think, well, I'm not going to engage in them yes. then. I'm going to create my own safe space. Right. But actually, that doesn't do any of us any good. And I think it's in, particularly important for young people to realise that we're brave enough to take on yes. the opposition and, and that I they think, need to be able to hear all sides, yeah. don't they? And I think the trouble is as well that a lot of those who would like to shut you down have actually now got quite well organised about it and they have techniques to do it. Yeah, and they don't yeah. just, it's not just a random kind of, you know, let's have a go at her on Twitter no. or let's have a, a, a go at his employer. You know, they actually, I think, have tactical ability to kind of do one thing, then another thing, and then the next thing. And, you know, and it's, and it is quite terrifyingly um, sort of, um, uh, an imposition on, on, on what you can do. I know. Uh, one of the things that I'm very worried about is that we cannot think out loud and make mistakes. Mm. Now, we all have to experiment a bit. I mean, yeah. I, I try and encourage people when we organise these uh, festivals or any kind of public debate to say, look, you know, you might not be right and you might not be sure, but you're allowed to say something which yeah. then you say, and that might, this might sound idiotic, but what do you think? Right. But actually, increasingly... You get into trouble for that. I, right. I, I was sort of talking to some people who work in the corporate sector, and they've got these things called uh, race ambassadors oh, yeah. who are recruited and trained to go around workplaces to encourage healthy conversations about race. Healthy. What does that mean right. even? And then they're given what about a checklist. Ones? Yeah, exactly. Well, then they're given this checklist of like things to look out for. Mm. And if, for example, you um, say, "Well, I'd rather not discuss that," mm. that's seen to be a bit dodgy because right. we now know that silence is violence. So you're not. It's kind of got so frightening to me that they're basically mandating us to follow a script. Yeah. You're you're not allowed to even say, "Can I just listen?" Yeah. Can I just think? In other words, you've got to say the right thing yeah. all the time. Now that is really stunning in workplaces well, it's I mean, terrible and as you say it's well organised that's what I'm trying to yes. say is they have decided well we're not just going to let you uh, say we're not just going to try and cancel if you say the wrong thing we're going to think you're dodgy if you mm. don't say exactly what we tell exactly. you to say right. now and if we see you carrying a book that you shouldn't really be Ooh. reading I Ooh. mean and then you're starting to get into some really weird places I know you well know? I mean and you have had instances where people like Amazon have actually started saying we're not going to sell this socially well, conservative well Laura Dogsworth book. for a long time and I think it's not happening anymore but for a long time when she was coming in here she would go you know, my book's disappeared again. Yeah, And yeah, you can't yeah. find it. Yeah. Or they'll sort of, they do this with YouTube videos as well, that, you know, suddenly you, you can't find the, the interview that you know you did yeah. that was there yesterday, but somehow it's disappeared. Absolutely. And it's still there somewhere, but you can't find it. Well, we know that the big tech companies are very well organised at, um, what is it, de-boosting, as they say. Yes. You know, I mean, that happens all the time. It's kind of quite subtle, so you yeah. don't really know if you're being censored. But I, I think you're right, you know, when, when people actually say, don't read this book, or when big tech stop you buying it or make things harder i mean we, we all know that book burning is bad you know mm. we associate that with 
fascism and Nazi Germany. But there's a form of book burning if you basically tell people or demonise a book yeah. in such a way that if you've seen reading right. it, that is a, a contemporary tech version. Mm. So I, I just think all the time, you know, ideas, I mean, people will say, oh, you know, you just organise talking shops, right? Well, let me tell you something. You do need to talk, which is why we have talk radio. Yeah. And you need to actually have ideas. There has to be something substantive. We can't just sound off all the time, right? right? And, also, and, so, yeah, and also, I think you have to make sure you don't become a parody of yourself, where you're yeah. always just banging on about wokery and, you know, yeah. today's attack on the woke is blah, because then you lose all the credibility that you should have. Exactly. For and picking I, and up the right ones. And you know? I, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a Brexiteer, but I'm absolutely happy to say, let's talk about what's caused the skills shortage, right? Yeah. I, we've got to say maybe Brexit was now. I, I, before everybody on sorry. listens, it's not what I think. What, sorry, what I'm what I'm saying is mad, no. Yeah. What I'm saying is is that I don't want to be in a situation all the time where you say I voted leave and I refuse to discuss yes. any of the potentially right. negative consequences. Right. Let's discuss it in, with some subtlety. Right. There's a bit of layering yes. here, right? Yeah, I, mean, I could talk for hours left, on it. The fact that we've left the European Union actually might have something to do with it. Yeah, you know, it, we were never not... going to leave the European Union and nothing happened. Right. The idea is that something happens. I mean, I do think on that, that, you know, in 2016, the establishment could have said, oh, well, one of the consequences of leaving the European Union might be that there's a freedom of movement question and there might be a skills yes. shortage. Let's tackle it. But of course, we know that the majority of the establishment said, we're not really going to leave the no. EU at all. They might it's have voted for happen. that, but it's not going to happen. No. So they didn't do anything, right? right? But, also, but these I think things are interesting people, to discuss in detail. I also detail. think a lot of people didn't know, actually, that the reason for uh, all of the people coming into this country to work was because they were working for lower wages. Yeah. And actually, yeah. it's a good thing if we're going to get better wages in this country as a result. Uh, absolutely. Uh, but I'm, I'm simply making the point, just to use it as an illustration, that it's perfectly reasonable, and I think that people who voted Leave should do this, is to have these conversations and to be open and honest about right. things and to say, well, there are challenges, right? There are things that we now have to tackle. Yes. There are positive uh, opportunities, but they're not straightforward. Mm. Anyway, I'm, I'm using it well, as one an of illustration. My things, right? And then people go, don't be so stupid. I say, well, look, how is it that we haven't got enough people to kill all the pigs and butcher them, so we're going to kill all the pigs? And you go... <laughs> and I know it's not quite no, as straightforward no, as that, no, but it no. sounds daft, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing is... Any one of these uh, different economic challenges, uh, these work uh, challenges, the whole question of how we're going to really kickstart the economic growth that will lead to proper levelling up rather than just a slogan, mm. that was put on hold by yeah. COVID, right? Yeah. And the reality is, is that the way, or not COVID, COVID's and the response to COVID, which was to lock down and close down society, right. we have got some very big issues that this country needs to take on now. Mm. And all I'm saying is there's no way that you can do that by leaving it up to a technocratic crowd at Westminster. This needs the full creative energy of every single citizen in this country discussing, debating what's the best way to... You want to know how to solve certain problems? Talk to the majority of people who yes. work in that area. You want to know how to solve the social care crisis? Don't necessarily just set up a commission. Go out and talk to the carers. Go mm. out and talk to the people who work in care homes. Let's actually get mm. their views and get some... Now, if you're in a situation where they say, we we don't say that, that's the wrong thing to say. Mm. 
shut up, don't mm. say that, that's offensive or whatever, we're never going to get anywhere. So we need every view to be heard and discussed. And that's why free speech is allowed. That's why the Battle of Ideas Festival matters. And it's why talk radio matters. Brilliant. And so how can people get in? Do they need a ticket or is it... Well, you, need to, of, uh... you need to get your tickets. There's loads of reductions, by the way. Okay. Um, and you can go on the website and see all the details of it, battleofideas.org.uk. Really genuinely pop along, right? It's yeah. Church House, Heart of Westminster. We're calling it the People's Takeover of Westminster. Really? A little Love bit it. different than uh, being in the Lords. It's much more exciting than being in the Lords. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to you seeing get, you there. Unfortunately, you don't get paid to attend. But there we are. <laughs> oh, and, and by the way, a lot of people are saying, oh, I'm from the North, I'm not coming. Some people are. But we've also got a, a, a version in the North. We were in Buxton on the 30th of uh, October as well. So cool. no excuses. Brilliant. Get there. Well, Claire, great to see you. Thank you very much for coming Thank in. You, uh, Baroness Fox of Buckley. Free speech uh, is allowed. It's not only allowed. It's imperative here at Talk Radio. <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.